Today's topic, we're actually doing a series this uh, this month of November, and it's the addiction series. Mm -hmm. And uh, Matab, you and I have been talking about it, how we really wanted to um, highlight what addiction is and, you know, the warning signs, treatments, and things like that. And, and because it's an epidemic, we feel it's you know, it's increasing more and more. Mm -hmm. And um, we we felt that, you know, that it is so important to 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 talk about it, to raise the awareness. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad today uh, Dr. Michelle Durham is here from Ibn Sina Foundation mm -hmm. uh, to really uh, make us understand, help us understand what addiction is, how it affects the brain, and mm -hmm. especially with our young uh, adults, the adolescents as well. So welcome to Thank Chai you. Time. Thank you. <laughs> it's great to be with you all again. Yeah, and it's so nice to have you all here at Ham FM. Thank it's you. a nice change. <laughs> we all look yeah. so bright. I don't know yeah. if it's the lights or if it's just us. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so let's begin first with, uh, you know, the definition of addiction. What is addiction? Sure, it's it's a good question, and I think that. Um you know, what we think about, at least in the mental health field, and when we think about, you know, we have our book that we use for think about disorders and what is illness and what does that look like. Um, and in general, addiction is really a loss of control in some sense, right? We all, we all, I, I guess I want to make clear on the onset that we all use substances, right? Most of us probably, not all, right? But people use alcohol, you know, people smoke cigarettes, people use a lot of other things that are considered, you know, some are considered illegal by policies that have been made by the government. Some of them are legal. Um, and some of the ones that are legal are probably the most deadly in our society. So it's a really interesting thing what we've done um, as a society to sort of control the way people use or misuse substances. And I think that's just an important point to make. Um, there's just been policies that have been made that have decided what is what is a quote-unquote good substance versus a bad substance. Mm. But someone like me who's in the medical field and um, as a physician, um, we see day in and day out how deadly alcohol and cigarette use are. But we usually only talk about cocaine or opioids or people doing heroin or all the like quote-unquote bad drugs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I wanted to say that when I think about addiction, though, right, that people use substances often in society all the time. Um, but it's really that point where it starts impacting your friendships, any type of relationship, how you function in life, going to a job, going to school every day. Those things stop happening in the way they were happening before. Some people start developing right a tolerance, so then all of a sudden you need more of the substance. If you stop using, then all of a sudden you feel like, oh gosh, I don't have that substance anymore. Now I need I need to go use it again, even though I was trying to cut back, right? So there's a list of things we look at. I'm naming a few on that list of what we describe as addiction when people are starting to hit all of those things not just one on the not even just tolerant you know not that I'm like withdrawing that's not enough actually when we think about the list of things we look at but it's all it's really that bigger piece of right how does it impact 
your day-to-day life. Yeah. Are you starting to lie? Are you getting into legal issues? Are you mm-hmm. starting to tell family members things that because you're trying to figure out how do I, I know I'm not supposed to use this much and now I'm starting to get in trouble. Am I right. spending too much money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the brain part of all of that, right. um, that we all have dopamine. And so that's what sort of excites us all in life um, and you know gets us going. And, and some of us, it's right, maybe like today, you guys probably very, really much you know enjoy doing this radio show show. It's exciting. That's a dopamine effect, right? And you come back to do it constantly. And for some people, the drug gives them that that high, if you will. You, you, this is all a high that you all are doing too in some capacity, right? It's a, it's a good, healthy high, right? Of, of doing the show and enjoying it and wanting to come back to it. Um, but then there's the, people who use substances, it's that they're trying to always catch that again. Um, and that's the brain piece of it. That's the dopamine that we all have and different things bring us joy in life and excitement and want us to go back to it. And that is what's happening with a substance as well. Um, There's some high that they're trying to catch because they're not getting it maybe in their everyday life, Mm. right? Which gets us back to supports and community and the, the foundation of all the things we do, right? That we need community, supports, family, friends to just get through the day to day all the time. Um, and so that that's a big picture, I think, view of, of addiction, and I and I think it's important to sort of frame it in that way because of you know I'm sure we'll get to at some point all the stigma and bias yeah. um, and lack of support that our society don't give folks who end up using something that's quite deadly and actually that brings probably them a lot of shame themselves. Yeah, I love the way mm-hmm. that how you defined it because. The, the, the word addiction itself is taken so negatively, but right. the way you just explained it, it's like, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it does not have to be because when we say addiction, everyone is like, oh, my God, this is, it's an addiction. And we just go into that. Our, our mind goes into that negative right. uh, form. So it brings yeah. a lot of shame. I, I think that mm-hmm. the shame part is what makes people not seek the help mm-hmm. they need. That's right. You know, one of the addictions that's very underreported is actually gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. And it has one of the highest suicide rates. Um, or right now, the the patterns of use that we have with the kind of more liberated policies around cannabis mm-hmm. um, and how we interpret that and how the cannabis on the developing brain looks so different than on a mature brain. And I, and I want Dr. Durham to speak on that because that's been so normalized and now we have cannabis products in drinks and to college students, I get a lot of people in crisis that just do not know how to regulate the use. And yeah. it's just, it's throwing people who have predisposition for, you know, psychosis and earlier onsets, like, you know, there's a lot more than just, okay, Mm -hmm. let's take this to relax because life is stressful, but to really understand it in the context of how these substances impact a growing brain versus an adult brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a great point. And, And it goes back to sort of the earlier thing that the sort of legal quote unquote, and I'm going to keep saying that the legal drugs are the ones that are most used by teenagers. It's not it's not the bad thing, quote unquote, bad things that we probably hear on the news or in social media all the time. And, oh, everybody's using like heroin or all this. It's actually prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. So, right. Things that 
a family member maybe in the house has. <laughs> maybe they've been prescribed themselves. Um, alcohol, cannabis, which I, I want to make a note that we're saying cannabis these days in the profession and we're not saying marijuana. So people understand that those two things are the same. But in the in professional world, we, we say cannabis. And then, you know, smoking, cigarettes. So all of these things, right, are technically what people can use, right? Mm-hmm, like yes. at 18, they're, they're legal. 21, you can drink. Like all the things, right, that society has said, hey, these things are okay, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. let's not get caught up in the fact that it's uh, it's like, oh, addiction is equals the scary drugs, yeah. right, or the ones that are not legal. It's actually mm-hmm. the ones that we as a society have decided <laughs> that they're okay. And so yeah. that means that that means young people think that they're okay too, right? Yeah. Mom and dad, my grandparents, my aunts mm-hmm. and uncles, everyone's doing it. Why can't I? And that's what teenagers do at baseline, right? Like they want to experiment. Yeah. They take risks. Um, they want to go out with friends. They want to friends or life, and all of that is actually mm-hmm. let's normalize all of that. All of that is how you gain independence, how you learn, how you realize uh, what it is to be, start becoming an adult, how you begin to separate from your parent and have your own identity. So all good and like important things um, as, a, as a young person to do. Um, where the brain and the brain development piece comes in, we know that into actually late 20s, 26, 27, 28, your brain is still finishing up that process of developing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop at 18, but we've decided right at 18, like, oh, you're off. You can make all sorts of decisions <laughs> legally. It's, it has not stopped at that point at all. Um, so, so they're taking risk and thinking like, oh, they can go explore things and not thinking about all the consequences. And so that's the front of our brain um, where we, we call it that prefrontal cortex, also known as the thing, of, um, we call it like executive functioning. So executive functioning is right, that we all have the ability to get here today for this radio show. <laughs> we had to get up, brush our teeth, take our shower, get dressed, get other people in the family, to, you know, and we're like, we got to get here by 11 o'clock, no later, right? But all of that probably happened like, like nothing to you, right? Because mm-hmm. you were able to plan and function and you just keep it moving. There are some people who struggle greatly with that. Um, but a teenager in particular is also struggling with all of that because there's still that prefrontal cortex, the front of our brain, is just still developing. Mm-hmm. And so parent, you know, you get upset. It's like, why am I telling you this for the 20th time, right? Like why are, that's just part of brain development. So you mm-hmm. can imagine telling them that's really bad for you. Don't go, don't go smoking. Don't do cannabis. Don't go drinking. Don't get in the friend with the car who's been drinking. You tell them all of that. Yeah. And they're still like in the moment, just excitement and like do it and aren't thinking about what the consequences of that, all of those things. What could happen? We could get in a wreck. Someone could die, right? And so they're just not thinking of those consequences. And so mm-hmm. that that brain development, though, is, you know, hopefully for parents and caregivers, you know, listening in, that's where your patience comes in, right? And I know it's probably very hard because you're repeatedly telling them stuff, but that's where a lot of patients um, understanding their viewpoint and having actually talks, not when the incident happens, yes, mm-hmm. but prior to. Don't lecture. <laughs> not the lecturing. And then I think last but not least is the modeling, which is kind of what I started with. They see family members, parents, adults in their life, drinking, smoking, Mm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're constantly a model for your child. 
at all ages. You're constantly modeling what it is. So if you're drinking and with friends, no one's saying to stop, do that. But hey, did you get an Uber home? Did you get someone else to drive you home? Did you drive yourself home? Because they're looking and they're watching and they're seeing your every move. So if you're modeling that sort of behavior, hey, I went out partying, I got an Uber back, or we had a designated driver in our group of friends as adults, all of those are like important things that you not only talk to your child about, but actually they see you doing that in action and behavior. Yeah, that's yeah, that's one. <laughs> She's giving me the sign. You have one minute to go. <laughs> I have so many questions. I'm going to cover all of that. <laughs> so should we go on break, Sasha? Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's uh, let's just go on a short break, and when we return, we will continue our conversation with Dr. Michelle Durham and Mata. This is Chai Time on 103.5 Hum FM. Welcome back to Chai Time on 103.5 Hum FM. We are in conversation with Dr. Michelle Durham from Ibn Sina Foundation and also with Matab. And we have started our addiction series, what we you know, have decided to talk about, and it's so important. So let's continue with our discussion. We've just mm -hmm. scratched the surface. <laughs> I know. We need another hour. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of questions. So just to kind of uh, pick back on Dr. Durham's comments about the developing brains and mm -hmm. how as adults we need to model the behaviors we want to see more of. Um, I think that's very pertinent. And then we kind of pivoted into, you know, normalizing those awkward conversations between parents and mm -hmm. um, their adolescents or young adults. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of these um, unfortunate events are happening because our kids are ill-equipped before, you know, we're so excited to send them off to college, but we're not talking to them about healthy relationships. We don't talk about healthy habits around drinking. Maybe our particular, well, maybe one child has a, a, a peculiar curiosity about alcohol consumption where the other one doesn't. And to tailor our parenting styles to, to be able to make sure we cover our ground or we're really kind of playing Russian roulette. Mm. We're letting other peers mm. teach our kids. We're letting kids teach kids mm -hmm. <laughs> about these kinds of behaviors, which is really not the way to go. And then we're having to be, uh, like be reactive to the situation. And we were, uh, we were just talking about the Rice University event, the, the young gentleman who lost his life. You know, these are things that are all preventable. Mm. Call an Uber, you know, talk to your friends about, hey, you know, you're, after that second drink, you're kind of walking funny. That's mm. when you give me your keys. You know, it's not, as parents, we shouldn't be uh, practicing these kind of dichotomous thinking conversations, rigid, just, you don't do it because it's wrong. Yes. And so we alienate our children from a very important conversation that needs to continue, like Dr. Graham was mentioning, maybe up to age 26, mm -hmm. when that frontal, the executive function is complete. Like, let's create good habits, and let's just be honest about the world we live in and, and how we can navigate these dialogues. Yeah, and, and what I'll say, too, to add to that is that... Um, it's not just around like substance, right, or use, using some substance, but also just thinking about 
all the things, you know, you mentioned already a couple of my time, but like mental health in general, um, most, most times when this leads to something more severe, when a, a young person starts using early in life, um, there is something else going on. Yeah. Depression, anxiety, something going on in maybe their family. Maybe there's a big divorce that went really poorly, right? Like there's something usually happening for them. And so th this term, at least in our field, is sort of that co-occurrence. So there's a mental health and a substance use issue happening at the same time. And we see that a lot in young people. Mm -hmm. um, we see that in adults. But I think that when it's starting so young that this person is sort of using in a way um, that is really unhealthy, yeah. um, m more times than not, they're they're struggling with mm -hmm. being maybe accepted for who they are, um, maybe with some other mental health issue. Um, maybe there's also just, a, which is another sort of risk factor, if you will, um, that there's family history. Someone in the family likely has a substance use issue as well. Um, so those are sort of the, the warning signs, if you will, um, that you, you want to be, be looking at. But open dialogue with your child um, is where you're going to find these things out. You know, and as a child psychiatrist, and I think, you know, pediatricians do this as well. They often, if you've ever been to a visit for the for your uh, pediatrician, sometimes at a certain age, they say, hey, I want to talk to the young person alone. And they ask the parent mm -hmm. or caregiver to step out of the room. This is actually very normal practice because you'll, you, you'd be surprised um, what the young person will tell the doc that they have not told the parent or caregiver. Mm -hmm. And that's everything from who they're having sex with or not having sex with, you know, if they've used any type of substance, right? If they're struggling with a mental health issue, if they're feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. Because these are questions that we ask in our practice openly. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes parents and caregivers aren't asking those questions openly because I don't know if they don't want to know. They're afraid <laughs> if they're of they're worried the about what the answer <laughs> yeah, will the be. Answer is, yes. And then they don't know Absolutely. what to say if what the answer is, right? So start preparing yourselves uh, uh, for because you have to prepare yourself for whatever is going to come from your young person. And really what we're doing in our practice is non, no judgment. Mm. No judgment. If you are having sex, my next question is not, is not why, stop. My question to that young person is, are you using protection? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or do you feel safe when you do it? Do you feel like someone's trying to harm you when you're having Right? Those are the questions I'm at Because they're going to do it, even if you decide as a parent, no, don't do it. They're actually still going to do it, and they're just going to find ways to do it that may be really harmful. And we talked about risk-taking. We talked about the developing brain. They are not thinking of what's going to happen next week, two years mm -hmm. from now, ten years from now. Mm. So... Yeah. So substance use is one thing, right? But it's all of these other things that if you have open conversations with your child and then you can also then provide, hey, well, this is what you can do if some situation comes up, right? And not just, no, you shouldn't be doing that. That's going to lead to more open conversations. Mm -hmm. And so that, hey, when they're in a car or about to get in a car with somebody one night, They'll be like, let me call my mom or dad, <laughs> right? Let me just mm -hmm. do that instead of getting into this crazy situation I'm about to get into. Um, so it just leads to so many other things in a positive way when you can keep that door open mm -hmm. and be non-judgmental about what they're experiencing. And quite frankly, it's hard being a young person today. Yeah, it is quite it is, yeah. challenging. And if you mm -hmm. can't have support at home and someone who's going to help guide you and offer advice, um, where else do you think they're going to get it? 
probably from somebody you really don't want them to get it from. Mm-hmm. And and it's really, I'll, I'm going to say that again, it just being on the other side of it, it's like really hard. I'm like, I can't imagine being a teenager right now with like social media, the TV stuff, the texting, people just doing the stories I hear from these young people, what hap- happens with their, and you know, in school and who's texting who and posting things about you that you're like, yeah. you don't want posted about you, right? Um, it's just, it's a difficult time. So it needs to start at home that they feel I won't be judged. I can say something and I'm going to get help for it. Yeah. Yeah. And even the, even like uh, with social media, that's another addiction. Like, yeah. oh, the blue, know, yes, yes. Constantly being having those amount of likes and people are, you yeah. Know, like how many people are watching your life shows? That's the dopamine hit, right? That we <laughs> right. are, we're actually, yeah. you know, people make fun of me because I always have some kind of a puzzle going on in my house. <laughs> Um, but you know, as when my kids were little, we started off with like, you know, 250 piece, 500, a thousand. And everyone's like, you're so weird. What's your obsession about these puzzles? I'm like, because in developmental psychology, you learn that, you know, if you promote and teach delayed gratification, Mm -hmm. like to hang in there in something that interests you for a longer duration Mm -hmm. that also helps with some of these things later on with delayed gratification (laughs) and informed decision making. Um, But that's something I like to do in my house and um, we still do it and my daughter is going to be 18. Um, But one thing I want to piggyback on what was discussed is you know, a lot of these things are in the context of relationships. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, like, mm-hmm. substance will be a masking agent, right? Mm-hmm. Because somehow we find ourselves in a dilemma in our relationships where we don't feel seen or heard or validated. And so we seek that somewhere else. And sometimes it's not in another relationship, but it's in the relationship with a an alcohol bottle or with vaping or with cannabis products. And these things become kind of numbing agents to the things that we really need to be sorting out, but maybe we're putting off and this is the, the, sh- the shortcut, you know, the short answer. And so as a culture, we're also kind of putting a big approval on that kind of stuff because we talk in this language of, Oh my gosh, like I've heard people say, I can't wait to have this baby because I miss having a margarita. You know, like, what kind of thing is that to say? <laughs> you know, I, I prolonged, I, you guys know me, I'm all about my chai, but still, I'm like, I was so excited that I had a healthy baby. And for another year and a half, I nursed that baby. Like, that was not the first yeah. thinking. But we're all just so party part. Like, why, why does a 40-something-year-old woman still need to act like they're 22? Like, can we just give rein to, like, where it's appropriate? Can we hold space for our daughters? Can we not compete for that attention so much? Like, is it okay to be boring and still be fun? Like, can we have a quiet night where... No one's barfing up anything, you know, like, it, we, like, let's meet halfway. Yeah. But do you like, think also it's because uh, cravings, like, sometimes you crave that, like, it's something to do with the 
like, I don't know, the chemicals in your body or your brain or something that you crave for. Like you don't, you know, it's not like, you know, drinking while you're pregnant or, you know, yeah. but right away it's that nine months you haven't done it. So your body craves for that now or it's, is it, is there anything related to that maybe or maybe not? I don't know. I want Dr. Durham to talk about detox and the, the, the kind of the onboarding and offboarding. <laughs> Can you speak to that chemically? Like what's happening in the brain when someone is you know, out of use with alcohol, like maybe. Well, I mean, I think there are two different maybe questions that, you know, it's hard for, um, I think maybe Montab and we're looking like, we don't know how to answer that particular question about the the pregnant person all of a sudden saying, oh, I can't wait to have a drink. I mean, I don't know if that's a craving as much as just like a societal thing, to be honest, that drinking is just like, you know, you were saying on social media, it's everywhere, right? Like people too, like pregnant or not, are like, oh, I can't wait to get home and have my glass of wine. Um, I don't have, like personally, I never think about drinking alone. Like I, that's just not something I do. Right. right. So, but there are other people who are like every night they want their glass of wine. And so that's, that's interesting, right? Like why is that the thing to help mm. you relax at night and not green tea? Tea, <laughs> doing doing the puzzle, Peach right? Tranquility yeah. tea, to be exact. <laughs> right, there are so many other ways to relax besides a an alcoholic beverage, right? So that's an interesting thing that you yeah. hear that often as well. And I don't know. I think it's become just a just a societal thing of people yeah. thinking like that's okay. Yeah. And that goes back to like sort of parts of our conversations that we've had earlier of like alcohol is is a substance that has lots of health consequences. Yeah, and it's legal. Negative health consequences. Right. And it is legal. But it's probably, right, that not even probably, but it it there's an industry there, right? Yeah. Lots of money being made on the consumption of alcohol. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll leave that there for why then is that a legal yeah. substance that causes a lot of negative health consequences mm-hmm. when used in ways that um excess in excess and and sometimes even just depending right because we're getting into a little bit about now the biology the genetic component right like there's some people who may use a certain amount and for women that's less than what men can consume in general I mean, you'll be surprised of like even two or three drinks in one setting is considered, you know, too much for women. And so, but that happens probably once a week, probably most, maybe somebody goes out just on a Saturday night and has three or four cocktails. You've actually went above your limit. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And we don't, people don't talk about that, but that happens a a lot, right? And so when you, when you look about the standard and like, what is a standard drink and how much you're using? So even when we're asking questions in the medical field, it's people are like, oh, yeah, I have two or three a week. And we get into specifics. How much? Two or three of what? Right? Because it's different to have a 12-ounce beer, and there's 16-ounce beers, and there's 24-ounce beers. But sometimes people just say, I had three. Well, three of what? So we have to be really specific when we're really trying to understand how much are you using of this thing um, and alcohol being one of them. And so, you know, there are certain substances to get to, you know, Matab was mentioning like sort of detox and cravings and all of that has com- kind of come up as we've spoken. So there are certain substances that you can, you do, you should do a detox for. What's interesting, like cocaine, not one, right? Illegal drug. Mm-hmm. Cocaine is not something if, even if you're using too much, there, there is no detox program for that. It's just not, that's just not how, the way that substance is used. But mm-hmm. the legal one, alcohol, 
lots of consequences. When you drink too much and then you start going into withdrawal, we you do need to be in a detox. Mm -hmm. And usually that's we get there's medicine that's given. We're, we're monitoring literally your heart rate, your blood pressure, all of those important vital signs because they could go too high or too low at any moment. So it is in a controlled environment to make sure that you, um, you, we don't end up having you in our intensive care unit. That's how serious an alcohol withdrawal can be. People can become very delirious, they can hallucinate in an alcohol withdrawal. So when they're drinking a large amount over a long period of time, we really want that to happen in a controlled setting. Mm -hmm. Versus someone else that sometimes there is what we call quote unquote outpatient, right? You don't need to go to a hospital setting. So we, I can prescribe a medicine that you would take every day for a certain period of time as you're saying, I'm gonna stop drinking. Okay, this is what you do. So we don't get you, we don't want you to get into withdrawal. Sometimes people come in, right, to an emergency setting or something, and they're already sort of, they kind of want to stop, but they also know that they've been drinking heavy for a long period of time. Those are the people we generally, you know, sometimes need to admit and monitor. So vitals are literally being taken, like, sometimes every three to four hours. There's a medication protocol that, you know, is being used. Nursing is around the clock. Because at any point, actually, they can have something bad can happen, a seizure, start getting really delirious. People that maybe have IVs will start pulling them out because they're just very confused about where they are. There are just a lot of consequences. Um, mm -hmm. Liver can be greatly affected. The brain is greatly affected when someone has been using for a long time. And so um, I know I've said this 20 times now, right? That's a legal substance, alcohol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, right. And so but it has so many it's pretty scary when someone is detoxing and withdrawing and, and needs that sort of controlled environment. Um, mm -hmm. The cravings. Right. So in withdrawal, we have medicine to actually reduce cravings for alcohol. Um, and that is often something that we'll prescribe for people. So in that period of time that. That especially that beginning where it's really hard because you're right, your brain is signaling, and this is all dopa, gabapentin, a lot of neuro, so a lot of um, brain chemistry, right? We're talking, we're not talking about psychological stuff because people will often say, oh, you have to have the will to stop. Stop being so lazy about not quitting. It is not. It is a brain, you know, many of us in the field, this is a brain disease. And it's not that easy just to say, I'm just going to quit. For some people, it's just not that easy, especially if you've been doing it a long time. And so your brain is trying to get rewired in a way of like, so that's why we have medicine. We have medicine to sort of, you know, to really help with that, that craving piece. Um, and also, like, even if you do take a little sip, there's medicine that you'll feel like, oh, this is disgusting. You actually would want to vomit. So we have medicine to Ooh, kind of work. stop you. <laughs> right. We have medicine to sort of stop you and to help you reduce those cravings, even if you try to take a sip that you won't, to get you to a place along with therapy. I, so I don't want to negate that piece. That's a really critical part of it, too. So some type of, you know, either group treatment, individual treatment, dealing with any mental health issues that are going on and um, the, the substance use disorder at that point. So it's alcohol use disorder at that point. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of things we can do. And I think that's just important to bring this all together. There is treatment that works. But we have yeah. to have people um, not feel less shame and less stigmatized because they're engaging in such treatment.
I love how we are touching on a legal substance because, you know, most of the time it's the illegal that we mm-hmm. are so focused on. And even when we talk to our children, mm-hmm. it's the illegal substance mm-hmm. that we, we try and stress upon. Yeah. But in this conversation, it's such an eye opener to say, you know what, even it's the legal stuff that yeah. you have to, you know, kind of be aware of. And uh, those can harm you if mm-hmm. you, you know, you take a lot of it, mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a lot of great information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Very damn it. As we were planning for Thanksgiving, we're, t- we're telling people, <laughs> <laughs> okay, people, yeah. don't be lazy, <laughs> cook something instead of buying five glasses or five <laughs> bottles of wine to take. <laughs> With those Eat more turkey <laughs> instead. But actually, aside from all the the joking around, um, what Dr. Duran was covering was you know how, when people are in the recovery phase, the relationships, their support system mm-hmm. is actually I don't know the percentage. It's been a minute since I've been in inpatient setting, but it's that is one of the highest. Um, determinants of success whether mm-hmm. a person stays in maintenance or they mm-hmm. relapse mm-hmm. is how supportive is their relationship especially spousal relationship so when we go around and we want to shame people just like with our kids you know if if you do a lot of that then that loneliness the the struggle becomes greater and sometimes that person that's a trigger for them to use even more mm-hmm. and feel more alienated so it makes the recovery process even more challenging so a lot of times during recovery once the psychiatrist gets them situated chemically they, they can't do therapy in the very beginning if the thing if the addiction is kind of um, on a high acuity but they always, always recommend some kind of family therapy, some kind of relationship work um, to make sure that, uh, you know, you always say, I, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I've been in, uh, sober for 40 years. That's because every day that's a decision. And those relationships and those people in that person's environment, social, emotional environment, are a key factor in whether they succeed or, or they relapse. Yeah. Wow, we've just scratched the surface of this conversation. Mm-hmm. We needed need a month. No, <laughs> more than that. We need to have her back again. <laughs> That's what we said the last time. Yeah, we were talking about mental health. I know. There's you just know? so much to cover. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think ultimately it just takes all of us, you know, mm-hmm. who just to like rethink how you think about people, yeah. right, who use or who have a mental health issue or mm-hmm. – um, they're just struggling, yeah. and they just need help, and they actually just need our support yeah. um, and less shame. Yes. Yeah. And less it's shame. Kindness Day, guys. Yes. yes. Today is World Kindness Day. Well, oh. yeah. <laughs> so extend that, that kindness, because yeah. these are people, these are people's brothers, sisters, yeah. aunts, uncles, cousins. Yeah. These are people, you know, they're people, and I think we just can't remember that in all of this, and that there's a lot of treatment out there, and a lot of treatment that is not being used. Mm. It's about half of people that get treatment, or less sometimes, for a substance use issue, for adolescents as well, um, because of shame, because of a family member maybe Mm. saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, and then feeling like, well, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. Mm. So extend that Mm. kindness. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for joining us this morning. It was such a great discussion. And we have to 
come back to this again. I'll okay. see you next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you, listeners, for joining us here on Chai Time. We shall see you again next week, same time, same place. Signing off, Chai Time on 103.5 Hum FM.